All right, well, I want to welcome you all to a new year. It is now 2020. <laughs> Y'all remember those, those, those futuristic movies when they were talking back, back in the day, year 2003, It sounded like it was so far away. Here we are in 2017, and we don't even think nothing about 2017. Y'all thought y'all would be in those Jetson spaceships by this time. Y'all remember the Jetsons? Y'all ain't that old. <laughs> well, excuse my voice. I have a, a cold. I'm just getting over or trying to get over. Caught this when I was down in Monterey. In your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And while you're turning, would you stand please with me? I'm going to pray and welcome you into this new year as we begin our very first sermon of 2017. Lord, we thank you for bringing us to a new year, 2017. We are looking forward to and anticipating great things this year from you. You brought us through a wonderful 2016 and as we look at plans this year for the church, the building physically, our bodies spiritually, we pray that you will keep a guard around us. We know that the enemy means harm for us, but we pray for your protection. We pray for your guidance. We pray that you will bless us, that we will be a blessing to others. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to gather in this place today. We pray that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We love you, we honor you, and bless you, and we thank you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In your Bibles, the book of Matthew, chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 13 through 20, and then I'm going to read Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, and I may also read another passage that I did not give, Anisha. Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is. And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, your Bibles may say Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. 
And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, I'm going to actually read 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, man. As a title, if you're writing this down, please do. Questions and answers, opinions and revelation. Questions and answers, opinions, opinions and revelation. Point number one. Where do I stand in the eyes of the people. Where do I stand in the eyes of the people? Matthew 16, 13, and 14. As I have often said before, Jesus does not ask a question because he does not know the answer. You never, ask, you never have Jesus asking you a question because he doesn't know the answer. A question is never asked by Jesus because he is searching for information that is not available to him. When we ask questions, it is because we are seeking information and there may be something that we don't know. But whenever Jesus asks a question, it is never for the purpose of giving him something he does not know. The name Philippi, we read Caesarea Philippi, came from us from the person by the name of Herod Philip, the son of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great got his name the Great because he was a great builder. He was a very strategic military man, but his building campaign and how he built was incredible. According to Dr. Butler, Philip renamed Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi from a previous name, um, Panion, to distinguish it from Caesarea that was by the Mediterranean Sea. If you recall, it was Peter who went to Caesarea, but that was a different one. Caesarea Philippi was named after, it's believed, either Caesar Augustus or Tiberius. And Philip added his name. You see, many of the rulers back in the day, they had a big ego. They liked to name cities and places after themselves. You like to name places. You like, I tell you, when you look at a picture, who are you looking for? You're looking for yourself in that picture. You're not looking for somebody else. I'm looking for my, where, where am I? How come I'm not in that picture? You got no picture of me? 
When you look through a list, you're looking for your name. Yeah, you got an ego. I know you do. I know you do. You may act like you don't, but you want to see your name. But Caesar, Caesarea, I should say, Philippi, it was given this name in actually honor of Caesar. So Caesar or, or Philip named it Caesarea in honor of Caesar. Now, and it distinguished the others Caesarea that was in a different place. Now, before it was renamed, it was Alexander the Great who had conquered what was known as the known world. And as you know, he kind of put his name in various places. But the Greeks in Alexander's time used to serve a god by the name of Pan. And this name was changed to Caesarea after one of the leaders of the rulers back there died. And so we get the name Caesarea Philippi. It is in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus goes and he asks the disciples a question. Who are people saying that I am? Now, the Bible does not say why he asks the question in this place. But if we were to surmise it might be because in this place there was a, plet- a plethora of false gods. It was a place that had been the place of Baal worship, the Canaanite god in the Old Testament. And because it was a place that was known for pagan worship, it is possible that the Lord asked, Who are people saying that I am? There are four answers in the passage that is given when Peter gives the answer to Jesus' question about what people are saying. There are four names. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the the prophets. Now, in Jesus asking them the question, you will note that when he asks the question, it is important to know that the disciples, they knew the answer. They had their ears kind of tuned to what the people were saying. Do you not know people are talking about you whether you know it or not? There are some things that people are saying positively about you and some things that's not so positive about you. There was one day I was at work, and, and, and you know, you got to be careful when you say something, because you just might be picked up, you might be heard. And so me and my, one of my coworkers happened to be talking in my office, and I thought I had hung up the phone. Now, it wasn't anything really bad I was saying. Not really. But I had left a message on one of the employees on, on the line, and I put the phone down, so I thought, completely. And my coworker and I were talking about this particular person, saying some things that, lo and behold, it was all picked up on her voicemail. <laughs> and she comes back the next day, and she happens to mention it to me. I am glad it was nothing that was too bad. 
But it was something to where I wish she hadn't heard. It can be a very humbling experience when you say something that you don't want a person to hear. Have you ever had that happen when you are saying, and the person you may be speaking about comes walking around the corner? You have never had that happen, have you? You, you, you never had, had said something that you wish you had not said. You never put your foot in your mouth, have you? <laughs> I think we have all been there. The disciples had been hearing what the popular opinions were at that time. Jesus says, what are people saying about me? While the names may have changed today, people are still talking about Jesus. And even though it was some good names that were said, it still missed the mark. It still missed the point. You see, people were saying wonderful things. And this is great because people had high regard for Jesus. But they did not see Jesus as being the fulfillment of prophecy, nor did they see Jesus as being the end of all matters. And so today, while the, while the names may have been changed from John the Baptist or Elijah, the Old Testament to prophet Jeremiah, people are still calling Jesus names and giving their opinions, but it's missing the mark. They call Jesus a good man, and so he is. Some have actually blasphemed his name by saying that Jesus is the spiritual brother of Lucifer. There's a popular religion that teaches that, that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. There are some who say that Jesus is a prophet like Muhammad. Some say that he is a spiritual leader. He is a man that one should try to emulate. He has good qualities about him. If Jesus never rises above the mediocre or the good person, then you have missed the mark. You see, the world does have a view of Jesus. They have questions about him. But the problem is that they are popular opinions, and yet in spite of all the evidence, they still miss the mark. You see, when I tell you, do you know what sin is? Sin actually is missing the mark. You know that, right? When we talk about sin, we talk about missing the mark. Well, when people talk about Jesus, they often miss the mark. What is missing the mark? When I was growing up, we used to play, we had a, a dartboard. We had it right by, we put it right behind our front door. And before we put a board around it, we used to throw and had holes all over that door. And, and, and my dad was actually pretty good. So we finally put a, a, a wooden little board behind and put it in there. And so if we missed, we'd hit the board. Well, it really made no difference whether we hit the board or a 20 or a double or a triple. We were always aiming and trying to hit what? The bull's eye. You see, missing the mark actually means that you have missed the bull's eye. You are shooting for your target and you missed the mark. That's what missing the mark is. 
You're trying to hit it every time. And so when we talk about Jesus and missing the mark, if you miss it at one point, you have missed the mark. You have not hit the bull's eye. All of the answers that people give did not end in Jesus being the one that was to come in their view. Every person that said Jesus is a good man, they said we are still looking for the Messiah. You know, today people are still looking for answers. They're still searching for a way into heaven. They're still looking for spiritual fulfillment. And yet, the question that is being asked and the answers that are coming forth are not what Peter, in fact, gave. When Peter gave the answer, we're going to see in a moment what the Lord said about him. You see, when, when you think about Jesus being the Messiah, the idea of a Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah, in the Greek in the New Testament, it is, it is Christos. Christ, the anointed one. When you think about Christ being the anointed one, he is the one that was to come and to fulfill all of prophecy. He is and was the one that was to be the propitiation for our sins. He was the one that was going to come and to die. He was the one that was going to be the one to take away all of our sins. And he was the one, according to Jewish culture, he was the one that was going to deliver them from the Roman government. But let me say this. The Jewish people felt that the Messiah was going to be the one that was going to deliver them from Rome. So when Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? All of the answers pointed to forerunners. These are the people that's coming and that are to come before the true and the Holy One of God actually comes on the scene. If you are still looking for a Savior, you have missed the point. You have missed the point. So the Lord says, where do I stand in the eyes of people? And so that was the question that he asked. Two questions. Where do I stand? What's the popular opinion of me? And so they gave the answers. But then Jesus gives a contrast. He says, but what do you say? Which brings us to our second point, which is just that. But what do you say? Matthew 16, 14 through 17. If people miss this question, they have missed Jesus. And true enough, we find this to be the case today in our society. What people say about Jesus. What do you say about Jesus? If people don't answer this question correctly... They have missed him. I need to say that the opinions that people gave were correct. He was a good man. He was a prophet in the sense of the quality. But that's not who he was. It was not correct in the sense of who he was. He was greater than all of that. Yes, Jesus was a prophet. He was not John the Baptist, though. He was not Elijah. 
He was not Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Why would he be even considered to be Jeremiah? Because Jeremiah was a person who was heavenly, he was heavenly convicted by the people's sins. And so he was one that's called the weeping prophet. He was affected because of how the people lived. Jesus was affected as well. But he wasn't Jeremiah. He wasn't one of the other prophets. And so the question comes to the disciples, but, but what do you say? You see, if you don't get that question right, your eternal destiny will be at stake, will be a problem. So the contrast. Now note that Jesus listens to what Peter says. But now the question that is raised is not to Peter alone. When the Lord asks the question, but what do you say? He is speaking to the disciples. Not to Peter alone. Peter is the one who speaks up first. But what do you say? And this is what it said. He says that Jesus is the Christ. That definite article. You are the Christ. Which means the anointed one. And then secondly he calls him the son of the living God. Now, why would he say the son of the living God? Because all of the other gods in that area in Caesarea Philippi, they were false gods. They were not living. And so Peter, through his confession, says you are the living God. This matter of calling Jesus the living God is very, very interesting because it denotes a person who has life in and of himself or a being that has life in himself. Jesus highly commends Peter for his answer. Peter did not give his opinion. He didn't say, well, God, uh, I think you are. Well, Jesus, I believe you to be. He didn't do that. He says, you are. And what does the Lord say? The Lord then says, blessed are you, Peter. And what the Lord says when we look at that word blessed, it goes back to Matthew chapter 5 when we think about what? The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you. And he called them by his full name. Simon Peter Barjona. Barjona means, Bar means son of. Now, now, when Jesus highly recommends Peter for the answer, Peter does not give his opinion. The Lord says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But he says, my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you do you not know that truth comes about because of revelation the people that were saying that jesus is elijah jeremiah one of the prophets they were saying what was popular what people were saying but when the lord told peter who was speaking on behalf of the disciples you are christ you are the son of god jesus says that this was not revealed to you by people. The revelation came directly from God himself. Often in the Bible, you oftentimes see Jesus kind of getting on the disciples' case because of their lack of faith. They don't believe. They're questioning Jesus all the time. Here Jesus just feeds 5,000 people, 4,000 people. You know, he, he, he has basketfuls left over, and they still are wondering how they're going to make it. They've been living with Jesus. They have seen all these miracles performed. And Jesus is, is perplexed at their, oftentimes, their lack of faith. But in this case, Jesus says, blessed are you, 
Simon Peter, thank you, son of Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. Now, Jesus did not say our Father. He said, my Father has revealed this. When we think about God, when we think about God and call him oftentimes, we oftentimes say our Father or our God. But Jesus doesn't have to do that. He, he has exclusivity to God. He says, my Father has revealed this to you. And then you will note when we get to this in a couple of sermons down the road that on the Mount of Transfiguration, God is going to call Jesus my son. You'll note that later on. If you give popular opinion a chance, popular opinion will call you to do things and say things that's not correct. You see, people, I tell you all this time, people want you to be politically correct. People want you to be politically correct. If the church begins to try to be politically correct, we're not going to preach the word of God. We're not going to say that sin is sin, evil is evil, wrong is wrong. You've got to answer the question, but what do you say about Jesus? Well, I'm saying that Jesus is the son of God. I'm not saying that Jesus, well, he's a pretty good man. You know, you can, you can trust him, you can have him, or you can leave him on the side. It doesn't really make a difference. What will be, will be. That is not who Jesus is. Jesus claims exclusivity. There is no name above his name. There's no name that we bow to but his name. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. He didn't say all these other ways are okay. No, no, there's only one way to the Father. And so when Peter asks this question or answers this question posed by the Lord, every person, as I say, have to answer the question. But what are you saying about Jesus? You see, because the way you answer is going to determine what you do. If you give an answer, you're going to have to do something about it. If you say Jesus is Lord, then for me, the next logical question would be, then are you serving him? If Jesus is who he claims to be, what are you doing then to make sure that you're in the right relationship with him? You see, you can have all the right answers and yet make the wrong choices in life. You can know truth. You can accept truth. You can have it come to you, but then you can choose to do that which is not right. You can say, I, I know that Jesus is telling me to do this because I see it in his word, but I, I, I'm seeing that I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. Well, you might say something, but you see your words have to match also what you do. Your words and your actions must coincide. Point number three, and I'll be concluding. Point three is the, the result of the confession, the result of the confession, the result of the confession. Matthew is the, is the only one of the synoptic gospels, and we say the synoptic gospels are which books are, which books are the synoptic gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Sin, S-Y-N, means with, an optic we think of, to see. So they are to see, they see things or look at it from 
the same perspective. They give their own twist, but they're called the synoptic gospels. Each of them gives the account of the passage in Matthew 16. However, only Matthew records Jesus' response to Peter. The other two, Mark and Luke, goes immediately to the point where Jesus says to them not to tell anyone who he is. But in Matthew, it records the conversation that the Lord has with him and tells and talks about what the Lord tells him in the passage that we're going to look at right here. What is it about Peter that draws us to him? Peter's one of those impulsive people. He, he, he basically starts talking even before he, before he thinks. He's one of those people that if you get him mad enough, he'll cut your ear off. I tell you, when they were in the garden and he cut off the, high, that the, the, the um, ear of the high priest servant, I tell you, Peter, they say, Peter wasn't going for the ear. He was going for that boy's head. And he missed and got the ear. But Peter is one of those individuals that when we think about this confession, it is, it, is, it is huge. When we think about even all of the list of the disciples that's mentioned in the Word of God, Peter always comes first on that list. Whenever there's a listing of the disciples, you see Peter's name first. Just like you see Judas who betrayed Jesus, you see his name last. The Roman Catholic Church Church has mistakenly placed Peter as the central focus of verse number 18. The Roman Catholic Church has placed Peter as a central focus where it says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter is not the exclusive one here, but I think we need to be, I want to just briefly just note that Peter is a key part of this verse along with the disciples as being foundational to the word or to the rock. Now the Lord used, interestingly enough, two words, the word Peter Petros means rock. And Petra means rock. Oftentimes, scholars say and, and theologians, there's a play on words here. Petros, Peter, deals with a small rock, a little, you know, pebble. And Petra deals with a boulder. And so it is said that Jesus was, as you know, oftentimes he, he uses this, his imagination, and he uses this matter of comparative, of, of comparing and so, Peter, you're a small rock. But upon this, not only revealed truth, but Peter, based on the foundation of not only you, but the disciples, the fact that you are carrying forth my word, I'm going to build my church. You see, when we consider Peter as a key leader, it was Peter in the book of Acts, in chapters 2 and 3, that preached that powerful sermon and Three thousand were added to the church. It was Peter who went to the, up to the temple. And at the gate beautiful, there was a man that was healed. It was Peter that went to Cornelius. 
and preached the word of God. When we think about Peter, he, he is a key figure along with the apostles. It was not just Peter. Remember, Peter was speaking on behalf of the apostles. But understand this. It was always tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. They were always speaking about the Lord. It was always the message of what Christ and who Christ is. It is Peter who is the key and the one who speaks up and says, Lord, you are the Christ. Now, when the Bible speaks of the gates of hell, the gates of hell actually is, a, is what we consider the grave, the, the gates of Hades. It is not speaking of the, the second death when we think about when the Lord comes to judge and then there is the, the people that don't know the Lord that goes into the lake of fire. Speaking of the grave. Now look what the Lord says. I bring this to a conclusion. This is what he says. And the gates of hell. Let me go back. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, when we speak, speak about the gates of hell, it is not necessarily speaking about the problems that we encounter with Satan, even though this may be included. The emphasis here is that even though Jesus would die, death would not prevent him or come against him and the church to conquer what he has done or who he was. When it speaks about the gates of hell not prevailing, it was Christ who was going to rise from the dead. When we think about political kingdoms, when that person dies, oftentimes that kingdom may die or they may have a successor. Someone takes over. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died, his kingdom continued on and was not destroyed by the enemy. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Now this is also the first time when the Lord mentions even the church in this particular passage. The Lord's kingdom is spiritual. His kingdom is not political. The problem that the people had was that they were looking for a political ruler and kingdom. And that's why they missed it. His kingdom is spiritual. Even the grave would not gain the victory over him. Confession of Peter of Christ being the Messiah the anointed one meant that he was and is the one that God was sending to accomplish the mission that he was sent to do. Everything culminated and ended with Christ. Keys speak of authority. Keys are used to lock and unlock. The disciples do not determine on their own what is going to be done in isolation from what they are being trained to do. In other words, what they may bind, it's not because I'm going to do this now, Lord, back me up. No, we never have Jesus following us. God does not follow your plans. We follow the will and plans of God. So when we talk about keys, it is that Peter and the apostles and those that follow 
will be doing that which the Lord has given authority to by his word. So when we think about the word of God, what do we do? We get our authority about by going to the word and carrying out what the Lord says. Peter's authority, the apostles' authority, those that came afterwards, was it was able to be done because they had the backing of heaven because of the word of God. Binding and loosing often speaks of that which is lawful or unlawful. When people say, I bind you. Well, it's speaking of in the... For the Jewish people, oftentimes the, the religious leaders, it, felt, it dealt with binding or with lawful, those things that were lawful or unlawful. Those things that were to be forbidden or permitted. So when they looked at that word binding, what is permitted, what is not. So when we think about it, it is always tied to the word of God. So the Lord tells them in this final part, is that you are not to tell anybody that I am the Christ. In other words, what does the Lord do? He muzzles them until after he is risen from the dead. Why? Because if word gets out that the disciples of what they said about him being the Messiah, the people are going to say he's the Messiah, come and overthrow Rome so we can be out of these shackles. But the Lord says don't tell anyone what my Father has revealed to you. It would come after he rose from the dead. Even though all the evidence was there. Even though it was said at the beginning. At this point, the Lord muzzles them and says, don't tell anyone at this time. I've got to accomplish my task. Bow your heads, please. Today was more teaching. And one of the things as we think about this, if you're still looking for answers and looking for Answers to are looking for answers to life and saying, how, how can I be saved or how what do I need to do to re, to receive eternal life? It is Christ, the Messiah. It is only in him. Today, Lord, we pray that as we've heard the word of God and as Peter confessed for the disciples that you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. We are indeed thankful to you. That you didn't get distracted nor deterred from the course that you were on. That you came and finished the job. You fulfilled your calling. Today we are grateful to you that you have given us the privilege of being able to share the word of God. To be able to have the keys to the kingdom. To be able to proclaim what the Lord says. To preach freedom to people. To release the captives. And we pray today that you will help us to know that one day we are all going to leave this place. We're not staying here. And Lord, the question that has to be answered, who do you say that I am? Has to be answered, Lord. Some have answered the call. Some are still pondering. But we pray today that not only will we answer, but that then we will all follow and do the will of the Almighty God. We give your name the glory and the praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. We'll see you here on this coming Wednesday.
خود فیلم قبلشه